0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Comic Source. I'm your host, Jace. Uh, first off, apologies for missing last New Comics Wednesday. Um, I was still recovering from COVID, and I was actually uh, out of town with my family and a house full of people. It was kind of hard to, uh, to find any sort of quiet time to read books, let alone record. So, uh, again, apologies for that. Um, but we did get the New Comics Wednesday, uh, the uh, DC Spotlight. Out last week, Uh, Rocky flew solo on that, so I hope you guys all enjoyed that. That being said, this uh, Tuesday, we got both of us, Rocky and myself, on the DC Spotlight. So if you're looking for DC books, go check that out. It dropped yesterday, as always, full of spoilers and a lot of plot points and details and characterizations and all that kind of good stuff. As opposed to today's New Comics Wednesday episode, uh, Jay couldn't make it but I'm here to talk about a few of the books that I got a chance to read. It will be spoiler-free. I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. It was a really good week, a lot of great books, some cool debuts, and some stuff that was just sort of okay. Um, I'm going to kick it off with actually uh, one of two books that are creator owned from uh, Image that uh, was actually crowdfunded first, this one being The Deadliest Bouquet, Script and letters are by Erica Schultz. We had Erica on the show to talk about this book um, back before it came out. Uh, before she uh, kick-started, I think, uh, actually, I think it was on zoop.gg, um, actually. It's a very interesting book about four sisters. Get a little bit of maybe a horror vibe, maybe something going on, something supernatural, a little bit of a Charlie's Angels feel. Um, but these... Three girls, these three sisters who are brought together by their mother's murder to, to solve that murder, uh, you know right off the bat that they're not women that you should be messing with. So the art is by Carola Borelli. It's a really solid art, colors by uh, Gab Contreras. And uh, it, it's just, it's a really good start, solid book, some interesting female characterization. And there's plenty of mystery, plenty of questions to still be answered. So I do recommend it. I did back the Zoop campaign. I have read more than just this first issue and it's definitely worth your time. So certainly check that out, flip through it, pick it up when you're at your local comic shop, flip through it. Um, Again, the arts really fantastic color work. Great. So um, I do recommend it. Next up. We have the amazing Spider-Man. We're up to issue number seven Uh, written by Zeb Wells art by John Romita jr. Scott Hanna's the inker, Marcio Menez on colors, Joe Caramani on letters, it hasn't, the, this mystery of what Peter did hasn't gotten annoying yet, but it's getting close. Um, you know, every time we go and read the uh, the recap inside the front cover, six months ago, Peter Parker did something. Like, it, it's enough already. Just tell us what he did because it's on the verge of getting annoying. Um, because every time he runs into somebody, whether it be Aunt May or Mary Jane or the Black Cat or whoever, they're always mentioning, everybody's mentioning it. But nobody actually will explain what it is. Uh, and I I just don't think that's realistic, number one. And number two, it just gets old when it's this event that's so momentous in the life of Peter Parker that's constantly shoved in our face and we're constantly reminded of it. But you won't tell us what it is. Like, it's, it's not clever. It's not interesting. It's not compelling. It just becomes annoying at one point. You know, it's like, oh, my God, are we going to keep coming back and reading Amazing Spider-Man because we just have to know what Peter did? No, man, this is Amazing Spider-Man. It's going to sell about what it always sells. You know, there may be a few ups and downs in the sales figures over time, but this is Amazing Spider-Man. It's a flagship character for Marvel Comics. People are going to buy it. So enough with the clever tricks. Um, I've been a fan of this volume. I was a fan of the Beyond Bored and what they did um, after the kind of kind of depressing stuff that that Nick Spencer did, um, but one thing that will sour me on this is them dragging this mystery out. And I said it from the beginning, um, and so I hope Zeb Wells is smart enough not to drag this out too long. I mean, seven issues, and we haven't gotten any clues about what he did other than it pissed everybody off. So again, it's starting to get annoying. And it's starting to kind of taint my feelings toward what I should be enjoying, because this very much feels like classic Peter Parker, despite the fact I'm not a fan of John Romita Jr. art, which we all know. You know, yes, he's a good storyteller. No, he doesn't do anything groundbreaking. And his figure work typically is not the best. That being said, his figure work here is actually better than I've seen it in in a while. Um, There are or is, I guess I should say, something else problematic that happens in this issue. There's an old Spider-Man villain that shows up and and their fight just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't, I don't want to say it doesn't go the way I want it to go, because obviously the writer's going to, you know, write it how they want. But it just, we'll say it doesn't come across as realistic This is a guy that has the powers of a spider. Um, but just based on their past history, it's kind of surprising what goes down in this fight. Like, uh, and that's all I'll say, because I don't want to spoil any more than I already have, but I, I still, I'm still a fan of this volume. Uh, and it's because I care so much about what Wells is doing and that he has established such a good tone and feel of the book that I don't want him to blow it by dragging this mystery out too long. So, um, I just, God, I kind of really hope they don't drag it out past a year, like you know, this is issue seven, three or four more issues at the most before we need to start getting some answers. Um, please, Marvel, I hope you're listening. I do kind of wish that I talked to Nick Lowe about it when I was at San Diego Comic Con. I didn't think about it, um, but yeah, um, don't don't overstay your welcome with this mystery, guys. Um, it's not going to work. Uh, all right, up next, an aftershock book, after uh, astronaut down. This is issue number three. It's from writer James Patrick. Rubin is the artist. Valentina Brisky is the colorist. Carlos M. Manguel's is the letterer. Um, we get sort of a, a recap at the beginning that really breaks down what's going on in the book. Really helps explain. Um, and you almost could could jump on this issue three as a new reader and, and understand what's going on. You Obviously, you would have missed some emotional beats and a little bit of the context, but it it is explained pretty well um, by Douglas, the main character, what's going on. And and it makes sense why he's sort of explaining it, if you will. Uh, But we learned something about him that comes as a bit of a surprise, but yet it's one of those situations where you can definitely see both sides, right? You can, you can agree with what Douglas is doing, but you can also see the other side and be opposed to what he's doing. Um, It ends up raising a lot of questions like as, as interesting as this idea is of, of, you know, traveling to other dimensions by sort of doing a quantum leap and hopping into, you know, one of your uh, alternate selves lives, you know, that in itself is a little bit of a science, uh, science fiction trope, um, but still interesting and fun. And the stakes that, Uh, Patrick, James Patrick has established are also very high. So that gives the book um, a sense of consequence. And it makes the decisions that Douglas uh, is making feel very important, feel very weighty. Um, But when you add on top of that, this kind of moral quandary, it really adds this extra layer to the book that makes it very compelling. So this is a book that You know, I always pay attention to Aftershock titles because they tend to be pretty good. Um, This one has continued to get better with each issue, which the first issue blew me away. It was so different and unexpected. Uh, I certainly wasn't expecting the book to continue to get better. I mean, it was already great, and I just needed it to maintain that same level of quality and story, and I would have been happy. But instead, uh, Patrick and the artist Rubin, because he's done a fantastic job of illustrating all these emotional beats and giving us um, some consequence in the art with this kind of um, genetic virus mutation or whatever, that's uh, attacking these various realities uh, and really showing the the consequence and the disastrous outcomes of the decisions that people have made. So it, it story and art are working really, really well together. And the book has, has really impressed me. So can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, all right. Up next, we have from Image a town called Terror. This is from writer Steve Niles. The art is by Simon Kurdansky We had uh, a big revelation last issue, a big twist, where we found out that um, th- kind of the patriarch of this family that that runs this horrific town, um, who had sent for his son who had kind of turned his back on the town and lived in quote unquote, the real world uh, as opposed to living in this town called terror that's hidden away with witches and vampires and Frankenstein monsters and what have you, this guy left and he went away. Um, Henry is his name, And he was trying to live a, a normal life. And now his fiance is looking for him because he's missing because he's been called back from from, uh, from by his father to look for his missing mother and come to find out, uh, the father never had any intentions of Henry looking for his mother. He knew exactly where the mother was. The mother had, in his eyes, betrayed him, as had Henry. And so the father, it, it was all part of an elaborate trap. And Henry's now trapped in the same purgatory type place where um, where his mother is. So it's up to Henry and his mother to escape. Meanwhile, Henry's wife is getting... Uh, closer to finding out where Henry is and learning the truth about Henry. And it's all kind of coming to a, a big action-packed finale, I'm assuming, um, as, you know, if Henry can escape and confront his father, what will that mean? What will it mean for his mother to escape and confront the uh, the father, her husband? So, um, it, you know, it started off as this really interesting you know i don't want to say it, i mean it is a horror book but it's much more action oriented and it's not necessarily you know a suspenseful book where you, you don't know what's lurking around this corner or that corner but the simon kardansky art does infect the entire story with a very creepy vibe um but it's very much this this or came across originally as this sort of act action centric monster story And now we're finding out there's much more layers to it, um, with sort of family betrayals and, um, layers and feelings and relationship and that sort of thing. Um, so in that way, even though they're, they're monsters or they have these supernatural powers or witches, they're, you know, whatever they are, um, in a way they're just as human as the rest of us in terms of, you know, their feelings of, uh, being betrayed and jealousy and um anger and desire for revenge and all that sort of stuff so um i like that duality that's there even though they're monsters in a way they're just as human as the rest of us with all the flaws and whatnot that that entails uh okay up next, we have from Marvel Avengers. We're up to issue number 59. This is from Jason Aaron and Javier Garron. Is the artist, David Curiel on colors, Corey Petit on letters. This was an okay issue. Um, we're getting an alternate reality where uh, Phoenix and the uh, Bear of the star brand are sort of these, uh, they're not lawmen, but they're they're in the what passes for the wild west in their world and they're they're sort of heroes i guess they go around and they stop people from doing bad things they're not necessarily like deputized or lawmen or what have you but they do go around and try to stop bad stuff from happening mefesto still infecting the multiverse and trying to get people onto his side um so it's very much a western story with some western tropes I didn't find it particularly compelling. It feels very strange, to be honest with you, that this story is in an Avengers book. Um, because it's pretty far from you know, Avengers or feeling super heroic. But this is these one of tales is what um Jason Aaron has wanted to be doing in Avengers right now. So yeah, it just it feels a little weird <laughs> right now, you know, like if you're you know, somebody who collects Avengers from, you know, way back when, and you have this long, unbroken run of Avengers, this has a completely different flavor from anything that's come before. Um, so, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's different. The art is fantastic. The colors are great. It's not a bad story. I just question whether this is what Marvel should be doing with one of their flagship books because it just feels really really out there. But maybe that's a good thing. Maybe people are enjoying it. Um it's just I, it's been a long time since I've read Avengers on a regular basis. And when I think of Avengers and and the times I've read the book and, you know, been invested in it, it, ha- it hasn't been anything like this. You know, it's been very central to what's going on in the Marvel universe, and I suppose in a way it still is in terms of, you know, Mephisto trying to put together this multiversal masters of evil. Although we don't see it really referred to in any other books. So I don't know. It just feels disconnected. It feels a little wonky to me. Um, so, I mean, some, some of the thing is some of the issues are fantastic though. These one of stories, like the one that was focused on Captain America, I thought was great. This one, I don't know. Maybe it's just, I'm not that invested in this version of Phoenix or this version of star brand, uh, especially when you turn them into, um, I don't even know the word cow. I mean, cowboys, cowboy heroes, um, cowboy vigilantes. I don't know. Uh, all right. Up next, we have Axe Judgment Day issue number two from Kieran Gellin. Uh, Valerio Shitti is the artist, Marte Garcia on colors, Clayton Callan letters. This is sort of the the book that really kicks it all off, if, if you will, in terms of okay, what's been going on? We know that the uh, Eternals found out that the X-Men were resurrecting themselves and were basically immortal, and they felt like that was too close to being a deviant, and they wanted to kill all the mutants. And then the Avengers sort of teamed up with the X-Men to try to stop that or at least postpone it um, or try to hold off these beans called the Hex which are basically one level below Celestials in terms of power. So you can imagine how tough a fight that was for the Avengers and the X-Men. Meanwhile, other members of the Avengers and the X-Men and the Eternals were trying to find a way to stop Judgment Day. I won't go into how they were going to do that because that's very spoilery, but what they do and the consequences of their actions very much plays into this whole idea of Judgment Day. And it's where the story really gets started. You know, this idea that, um, and, and it, I will say they even specifically said Marvel did CB Sibulski himself, I believe, um, at San Diego Comic Con on the panel that was about Judgment Day. You know, it's, it's Axe Judgment Day, Avengers, X Men, Eternals. It's not Avengers versus X Men versus Eternals. They want to distress that, right? It's not those three factions fighting against each other. Maybe you're kind of wondering why. Well, didn't you just say the Eternals are trying to wipe out the mutants and then the uh, Avengers and X-Men were teaming up against the Eternals? Yeah, yes, all that is true. But with what happens in the second issue, it sort of throws that all out. Um, and this is where the story and the event really gets started. So if you've read Kieran Gillen's stuff before, you know it can be kind of out there and esoteric. This is no different but it's also very interesting and the art is fantastic and it's a big story in scope. So um, I am curious to see how it's all going to uh, to play out. Plus um, there's some awesome Mark Brooks covers along the way and I'm always down for that. So uh, up next, we have another Marvel book. It's Captain America Sentinel of Liberty. We're up to issue number three. This is from writers Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Carmen Caniero is the artist letters are by Joe Caramagna colors by nolan woodard um so this is kind of the opposite of of uh the amazing spider-man we got introduced to a mystery right in the first issue and here we are with issue three and the, the mystery is while not completely resolved we do get a lot of information about who the the villains are what they're about why they're after captain america how they somewhat tie into his past. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. You set up a mystery and it can be compelling and it can be interesting. You don't have to drag it out in order to make it an interesting part of the story, right? You give some answers, you give some clues, you give something. So the reader feels like they're rewarded for taking this journey with you. And that's what Lansing and Kelly have done here. And it's absolutely fantastic. And I've talked about how amazing the Canero art, Carmen Canero is just killing it on this book. So it's action packed. It's a, it's a classic feel for Steve Rogers. I talked to um, Jackson and Colin at San Diego. They're going to be coming on the show soon. We'll talk about this title, um, but we talked a lot about their favorite eras of Captain America and, and the feel they were trying to capture and, I think they're nailing it. This is the most fun I've had reading the Captain America book in a long time. And not because it's this fun, loving, happy-go-lucky story. No, the, this story is a story that feels weighty and it feels like it has consequence and it feels very serious and important. And like it is tied back into the history of one of Marvel's central characters, Captain America. Um, But the reason it's so good is because it is pulling from so many different eras and they're doing it in a way that feels like it doesn't throw out anything that's come in between, but it's bringing Captain America back down to his roots. And, you know, there's so often we talk about great stories where writers will kind of tear a character down in order to build them back up. Um, They're not necessarily tearing uh, Steve Rogers down in terms of, you know, putting him through some personal trauma or anything like that. But they really are challenging who Steve is and how he sees himself in the modern world um, to kind of remind both ourselves as readers as well as Steve himself of who Captain America is, what he stands for, and, and all that kind of stuff. So in a way, it is sort of um, breaking him down, but breaking him down just by putting him through this intense trial Um, this intense challenge um, and tying it back to his, his earliest beginnings where, you know, some of the things that he, he believed about himself and his origins weren't necessarily the whole story. So it's working on a lot of levels. Um, I'm very impressed with what these guys are doing and the art by Carmen again is just fantastic. All right. Up next uh, another Marvel book, another captain book. It's the uh, finale of captain Carter uh, this is issue number five. It's written by Jamie McKelvey, Mariko Cresta does the art, Matt Miller on colors, Clayton Cowell on letters. Um, kind of ditto to what I said on uh, Captain America is what this Captain Carter book ends up being. Uh, it's very relevant. It's a great balance from Jamie McKelvey to to, to bring this you know classic Marvel character with her, you know her roots in World War II and that whole era and you know, bring her back, bring her to modern times and still make it relevant, still deal with the politics of today uh, and not have it feel like pandering or have it feel um, like it, it's awkward, right? It, it The villain that she's facing turns out to be, you know, a villain from way back when vampire Lord John Fallsworth, Baron blood, um, And so, you know, I really like that. It's, I mean, Jamie McKelvey's British. This has a very British feel in terms of, again, the politics, the characters, the decisions they make, the setting. All of it works on a really, really great level. And where it leaves Peggy Carter is a a great place for someone else or Jamie himself, Jamie McKelvey himself, to come in and pick up the pieces. Um, Because her reaction to what happens and the final confrontation, the final battle it all comes across as feeling very realistic. You know, this isn't, okay, let's tie it all up with a nice, neat bow. Good guys win, bad guys lose. Um, You know, real life is more complicated than that. And uh, this creative team has done a great job of telling us a good story with a satisfying conclusion, but still reminding us that, yeah, um, Peggy was from a simpler time. And you know, maybe you, we look back on rose-colored glasses and things were just as complicated back then. Um, but I would say politically, um, they're even more complicated now. So it works on those levels. Curious to see uh, wh- where we see Peggy Carter next. I mean, we are, we have seen her a little bit in the Captain America book I was just talking about, which is interesting in and of itself because she almost seems like a different character there. Um, but I'm a Peggy Carter fan. So looking forward to where she shows up next. Uh, all right. Up next, we have uh, another Aftershock book. This one's called Samurai Doggy. It's from writer Chris Tex. Santos does the art and colors and letters. This is kind of a weird book. Um, the art is a little bit stylized. It's very light on um, dialogue. It starts off that this um, this uh, mother gets killed. Uh, his mother of, of nine puppies gets killed. One of the puppies almost gets killed as well, is left for dead. The eight brothers and sisters are all taken. And that one puppy that was left grows up to be a samurai and is out for revenge. And that's basically the story. Um, but he's traveling through this world that's inhabited by fantastical robotic creatures and anthropomorphic creatures and uh other sort of robotic like it's just a very strange world i haven't seen too many out and out humans um but it definitely feels like it's one of those stories you know of of revenge and a quest and a journey and that sort of thing so um i can't say i have a handle on it after only one issue it's interesting especially the art style of santo's Um, So I'm definitely in for another issue. I I, I sort of thought maybe this was going to be a one shot because it is like 60 pages, but it says to be continued. It definitely ends on a cliffhanger. So um, I like the main character, although we haven't got a ton of characterization from him because we see him when he's a puppy. He vows revenge. And then when we next see him, he's this grown up uh, anthropomorphic dog. That's a samurai. So we don't know anything about the training in between or any of that sort of stuff. So it's, it's it feels like a big world. It feels like it's epic in scope. I am curious where it goes. It's Aftershock, so I'm always going to give their books a try. Uh, up next, 8 Billion Genies, number four, by Charles Soule and Ryan Brown, written by Soule. Art, color, design by Ryan Brown. Um, this book has been fantastic throughout, and this issue is no exception. We do get a pretty big revelation in this issue. It, it's almost like um, this issue is divided into two parts. Uh, we have the first part, which focuses on um, the young boy who, uh, who wished to have superpowers, Robbie. Um, and, you know, what he's going through out in the world, we know last issue it ended with us saying that, the, you know, the age of superpowers Superheroes versus supervillains had occurred, uh, and basically that whole age gets covered in this issue. This issue covers quite a bit of time chronologically, and then we're on to another age uh, uh, that comes up next. Uh, the other half of the book focuses on the core group of characters that's in the Lampwick Bar, um, including William, where we find out a big revelation about him, which in turn uh, helps to explain. Um a little bit more about the genies and where they come from and why they're doing what they're doing. So, um, it's just a really fun book, really interesting concept. And, uh, from 8 billion we're down significantly in terms of population, uh, on earth that's left. So again, it's a fun book. The art by Ryan Brown is fantastic. Color work also fantastic. I'm very curious how this one's all going to wrap up. Uh, Just such a fascinating idea from these two creators. Really, really love this book. Uh, Up next, we have a one-shot, Ghostwriter Vengeance Forever. It's written by Benjamin Percy. Juan Jose Reap does the art. Brian Valenza on colors. Travis Lanham on letters. Uh, There's a framework of Johnny Blaze going to get some tattoos. And um, supposedly this like magical tattoo artist, um, Necro is his name as he is tattooing he says he doesn't actually he's not actually putting any tattoos on people he's drawing out their history so basically that framework allows um, Benjamin Percy to go back through time and tell stories of previous Ghostwriters so we have Ghostwriter in the Old West we have the Daniel Ketch Ghostwriter we have Vengeance we have the Robbie Reyes Ghostwriter we even have Ghost Rider 2099. So for anybody who's not familiar with Ghost Rider, I mean, these aren't exactly origin stories. But it does give an introduction to the various iterations of Ghost Rider over the years. And anybody who's a Ghost Rider fan will probably enjoy seeing seeing these characters. And the Juan Jose Reap art is super detailed as his art tends to be. So I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a a fun trip down memory lane, very fast paced. uh, Again, not diving too deeply into who these characters are, but um, just a reminder of, uh, of the race ghostwriter iterations. Uh, All right. Up next, we have Jane Foster and the mighty Thor part three of five written by Torin Granbeck, art by Michael Dowling, colors by Jesus Arbatov, letters by Joe Sabino. Felt like a bit of a transitional issue. Um, We don't get a whole lot of Jane Foster in here. We get a lot more of the battle that's happening um, over the skies of Asgard. And you can kind of tell that it's a setup issue in terms of there's two issues left and things look very bleak. You know, it's always darkest before the dawn in terms of the battle and what's going on. And we do have a bit of a cliffhanger ending. uh, And I won't say more than that because I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, the emotionality uh, is really where this issue shines. Uh, We've had plenty of action so far, and there's plenty of action in this issue as well. But again, in terms of forward momentum in the story, it's more about the emotions and Gronbeck sort of putting everybody in place for um, the climax that's coming up in the next issue, I'm assuming. So, uh, again, I'm not a big Thor guy, not a big Jane Foster guy, um, but this I've, I've been enjoying reading this, and it is very new reader-friendly and easy to follow. So, uh, All right, up next from Image, here's another one of the creator-owned books that I was talking about. This one wasn't um, crowdfunded necessarily, but it was released through Substack by Tom King and Elsa Charatier. Uh, Matt Hollinsworth does the colors. Clayton Cowell's on letters. Tom Muller does designs. It's love everlasting. Um, It's kind of hard for me to talk about this book without spoiling. I think most people know what it's about anyway. Um, It's Tom King taking on romance comics. Tom King is a, a bit of a comic book historian in a way. And he's definitely a fan of kind of pulp and crime noir type films, which oftentimes have a a romantic storyline in them. So basically this is a a series of stories that are, that feel traditionally like you would get in a romance comic. Um, But there's one character that is in all the stories, Joan Peterson. And it's almost like she finds herself trapped in these romance stories. Like what if you, you know, what if your whole life was just a romance story and you were going from one guy to the next so there's one story and you're supposed to fall in love with this one guy and it's eight pages. And then the next story starts and forget about everything that happened in the first story. Now you're falling in love with some other guy, right? And on and on and on and on. Like your whole life is a, is a romance uh, novel or romance comic and how actually terrifying and horrible that would be. So leave it to Tom King to, <laughs> to really find a way to even make romance comics sad in a way um and again i'm not going to spoil but the last words that or last word balloon that uh, joan peterson utters in this book kind of sums it all up (laughs) for me uh obviously i won't spoil but uh, i do recommend it i am um a subscriber to the Substack, so again i've gotten more than just this first issue but it is interesting and uh chartier's art is is perfectly suited she uses this kind of simplistic, um, old fashioned style, throwback style, um, that you would find in romance comics of the day. And it works, um, very, very well for this book. So do recommend that one as well. Uh, all right. Up next, another aftershock book, there's something wrong with Patrick Todd. This is issue number two written by Ed Brisson. Gavin Goudry is the artist. Chris O'Halloran on colors, Hassan Atman How on letters. Hmm. What can I say? We know that in the first issue, we met Patrick Todd. He has these mental abilities. He has the ability to force people to do things they might not necessarily want to do anyway. Um, And it's just him and his mom, and his mom has something wrong with her. She's stuck in this mental hospital in almost a vegetative state. And so Patrick Todd was forcing people to rob banks and then bring him the money and then go and confess that they robbed the bank and confessed to other crimes. Like he was picking horrible people, like people that were, you know, child abusers or, um, had, you know, rapists or people that had done these horrible other things. And so he would make them rob the bank with his mental abilities, give him the money. And he was, he wasn't like going on the spending spree or whatever. He was saving up this money to help his mom for her treatment. And then at the end of the first issue, he gets robbed. Um, and so this issue picks up where that one um cuts off or or finishes off and the the, the very action packed issue we have the detectives who are investigating and know something's not quite right about these bank robberies you have um the faction that robbed Patrick Todd and stuff that goes wrong for them and we have another character who shows up who may have ties to Patrick um who we don't know much about at this point. He's just, he just gets introduced in the issue. We have some suspicions or some hints about who he might be. Um, But what's clear is Patrick Todd is in way over his head, even more so than he realizes. And he's got all these different factions that are closing in on him and you can't help, but feel bad for him and the situation he's in. But yet he also hasn't made the best choices So maybe he deserves a little comeuppance. Um, So it it is a very compelling story with a lot of moving parts and a lot of um, situations where you can't help but think, man, well, what would I do if I was Patrick Todd? Like if I was in that situation, which if I had those powers, you know, if my mom was in a nearly vegetative state, how would I pay for it? How, you know, would I have people robbing banks like there's just a lot of moving parts a lot to think about here um it's just this is my book of the week it's so good the gavin gudry art is tone perfect it's a little bit stylized it doesn't have a real heavily detailed background which lets the emotionality of the characters and their uh their body language really do a lot of the heavy lifting for the storytelling um especially powerful when we see a scene between um, Patrick Todd and his mom where you know, Patrick is just, he just wants to communicate with his mother so badly. You can see it in his face. It's, it's just fantastic. So, um, I'm a big fan of Ed Brisson and and it's books like this that are the reason he's just so talented, and such a great storyteller. All right. Up next we have, uh, actually another Ed Brisson book. Um, This is a highly anticipated book ever since Marvel bought Fox. We know they've had the rights to Predator. Um, So the new Predator comic from Marvel is finally out. It's day of the Hunter part one of six written by Ed Brisson. Art is by Kev Walker colors by Frank D'Armada letters by Clayton Cowles. Now the prey movie just came out, I think on Hulu and everybody's been singing its praises, no pun intended talking about how fantastic is it is with this young, uh, female protagonist. Well, it just so happens that, and I'm sure that Ed had no idea about that movie, or who the protagonist was or whatnot, but he's got a young female protagonist in this book who uh, has a very specific reason for wanting to uh, kind of turn the tables on the predators and, and hunt them. So in, in a very short amount of time, although this is 30 pages, so a little bit longer than uh, you know, regular comics, but in a very short period of time, we get introduced to Theta, um, her motivations for what she does and, and why she's after the Predators. And, um, you know, we see that she's been through a lot and uh, just the world that's established, her, her world, her supporting uh, cast, if you will, are all established here very, very well by Ed. And, He does a such a great job of establishing it, and then kind of throwing it all out right at the end, Um, and and just challenging this um, this character that you can't help but identify with and root for. She's very likable, but also very capable. Um, Like I've never, I'm I'm a fan of the Predator movies, but I've never been somebody who read Predator comics. Um, Kind of similar to Alien in that way. But Philip Kennedy Johnson has been doing such a fantastic job with the alien comics. I've been totally hooked after only one issue. I'm already hooked on this predator comic. Like I cannot wait for the second issue. Um It just captures the feel, uh, the menace, the claustrophobia, um, the danger. It, it's just, it's fantastic. You know, the best predator movies have all those elements and this comic has all those elements as well. So I, I was, Very, very impressed. The Kev Walker art is solid throughout. Uh, Can't wait for the next issue. I I just can't say enough about what a fantastic start this is to the series. Uh, All right. Up next, we have another Marvel book. This is issue number five of Punisher. It's written by Jason Aaron. We've got art by Jesus Saez and Paul Azaceta. Colors are by Dave Stewart. Letters by Corey Petit. We saw at the end of last issue... Frank Castle realized that maybe he had made a mistake by letting himself be recruited by the hand and be their uh, fist of the beast, and he tried to take his wife and leave. Well, we find out in this issue it's not quite that simple. We also um, get, I think for the first time, kind of the um, the first meeting of Frank and his wife and a little bit more about Frank in high school and um, who he was and why he joined the Marines. So Aaron has done a fantastic job of really balancing this idea of an origin story for the Punisher while at the same time, you know, telling the story in modern times of him trying to redefine himself or maybe define himself for the first time, really stop and think about who he is and why he does what he does. Um, and then having the two different artists handle the different, uh time periods works really really well also so um very curious to see what happens here it's been a long time since i've kind of looked at the punisher as uh, a heroic figure and i don't wouldn't go so far as to say that aaron is painting him as a heroic figure here but we're certainly getting more of that tragic feel as opposed to just the punisher who just goes out kills people and you uh you kind of read it to see uh, horrible people get what's coming to them, and the the Punisher is almost a plot device at that point for um, you know righteousness, if you will. This is not that's not what Aaron is doing here. This is a as I said a much more tragic figure, um, somebody who you can put yourself in their shoes and understand what they've been through, and that that's both in terms of the the past story that Aaron is telling as well as the present story so he's doing a fantastic job and uh, going to be curious to see if frank gets his original skull back by the end of the series uh, all right next up another book from image it's Starhenge, book one the dragon and the boar part two written illustrated and lettered by liam sharp we do have some additional illustration on pages two three and four by matilda mccormick sharp font is by dave givens design is by liam um this is a big Epic story, talk about it at length with issue one. This idea of magic and sci-fi and spanning centuries. Um, love the way Liam irreverently goes back and in this issue goes back and mines the history of uh, Britain and uh, other parts of Western Europe. It's it's a lot of fun. It's big. It's boisterous. The art is fantastic um the color work is great i I just can't say enough about it this is just a fun book this is one of those books that the story it couldn't be told any other way in any other medium other than as a comic um because it's just so huge and it spans so much time and the again i go back to the irreverence with which um liam tells this the story uh it's just a whole heck of a lot of fun. Again, I, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's, it's just a gorgeous book. This book should win awards, and I, I won't be surprised if it does. Uh all right. Last book I'm going to talk about in detail is X-Men Legends number one. Uh, this is from writer Roy Thomas, the legendary Roy Thomas. Dave Wachter is the artist. Edgar Delgado on colors, Joe Caramagna on letters. There is a editor's note. It says that the story takes place between incredible Hulk 181 and giant size X-Men number one. Um, It's a little bit problematic uh, because there's something that happens at the end of the issue where I'm like, wait a second, how does that make sense? If we had the events of giant size X-Men and, you know, certain characters were meeting for the first time or whatever. So you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. um, And it, I will say that Roy Thomas, he does a good job of making the dialogue. I don't know if he's doing this purposely or if he's just writing dialogue the way he used to write it back in the day, but it does feel a little bit, the dialogue does feel like uh, it would fit back in that time period uh, of when it was released. So it's kind of fun. It's kind of a trip down memory lane. Um, It's, it's additive, certainly in terms of giving us more characterization and more details on who Wolverine was at that time and what he was up to, but I'm not sure that it works hundred percent because of, you know, retroactive continuity and how it's going to have to squeeze in. i have to wait and see how the second issue is, but it was a fun read nonetheless. All right. Let me give a rundown on some other books you might want to be on the lookout for uh, from aftershock and edition of the books I talked about. We have maniac of New York volume Two: the Bronx is burning trade paperback, which uh, is a series that Jay and I both really, really loved um from dark horse we have uh frank Miller's sin city volume five family values deluxe edition hardcover and there's also a trade paperback so if you're a big fan of sin city you can be on the lookout for that uh don't forget you can find out about all these dc books on our dc spotlight from yesterday but the books we talked about were batgirls number nine batman urban legends number 18 blood syndicate season one number four of six Dark Crisis, World Without a Justice League, Green Lantern, number one. Deceased War of the Undead Gods, number one, which was um, new reader friendly, but also setting up some big doings in the deceased corner of DC. Uh, We also talked about Future State Gotham, number 16. Harley Quinn, 19, which is Harley Quinn in space. Uh, I Am Batman, number 12. Jurassic League, number four of six. Uh, We have Commandy by Jack Kirby, Volume 1, trade paperback. We also have the uh, finale of Naomi, Season 2, with number 6 of 6. Nubia Queen of the Amazons, number 3 of 4. Superman, Son of Kalel, number 14. And finally, Wonder Woman, number 790. Uh, Over at uh, Image, in addition to the books that we talked about, we have Kingspawn, number 13. Uh, Prodigy, Icarus Society, number 2 of 5. And Unnatural Blue Blood, number two of ten, from Mirka and Dolfo. A few other Marvel books that are out today. We have Black Panther, number eight. We have Giant Size Gwen Stacy, number one. There's a second printing of Iron Cat, number one of five. Uh, There's also a second printing of Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood, number two. There's a Miss Marvel and Wolverine uh, team-up, first issue of that is out. There's a second printing of new fantastic four, number one of five star Wars, bounty hunters, number 26 star Wars, Han Solo and Chewbacca number five and uh, venom lethal protector ends with issue number five uh, over at Valiant. I wanted to read this, but it's just because I love the first two issues, but I uh, didn't get a chance, but it's a uh, Archer and Armstrong forever. Number four. And then from vault and one of my favorite writers, Uh, Zach Kaplan. We have Mindset number two. So those are a few of the other books you might want to be on the lookout for at your comic shop today. It was a very strong week of comics. Hope you had a chance to uh, enjoy a lot of them. We appreciate you joining as always, and we will talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us.